welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. In Vino Fabulum means in wine story. There are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities paired with wine, of course. The In Vino Fab pod is a place to learn and space, share stories about our work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts, of course. Today on the episode, I'm so excited to tell you a little bit about our guest who's joining us, Sue Beckingham. Sue is a National Teaching Fellow, Principal Lecturer at the Department of Computing at Sheffield Hallam University, that's over in the UK, with a lead role in learning technology and assessment. She's also a Senior Fellow of the Higher Education Academy, a Fellow of the Staff and Educational Development Association and a certified member of the Association of Learning Technology. Her research interests include social media for learning and the use of technology to enhance and learning and teaching. So it's no wonder why we are and have been fast friends on Twitter for a while. She writes a blog called Social Media for Learning, and I'll put a link into our notes where you can find and read that. And last but certainly not least, she is the co-founder of the hashtag LTHE chat, which stands for Learning and Teaching in Higher Education Twitter chat. They talk every Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday evening in the UK time zone at 8pm. So you can find her on Twitter herself at Sue Bex, And we're just going to dive in because there's so much to chat with Sue about. She does so many amazing things. So welcome to the podcast. And Vino Fab is so glad to have you, Sue. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Well, I've read a little bit about you in the bio. Um, but what folks don't know is We've been longtime friends on the back channels and social media webs for quite some time. We certainly have, and it probably goes back to, I would think, 2010? I think you're right. Like, we're hitting a decade of good times on social media. Specifically, yeah, yeah. 2011, we actually met, didn't we, in um, Texas when I came over for South by Southwest. That's right. That is true. Um, well, that's correct. Uh, we met with our friend Jeff Jackson and a few other colleagues. Uh, I believe Julie and Ray and I don't know who Ed might have been there. So there's a bunch of folks that yeah. were on Twitter back a decade ago when Twitter was in an infancy of a few years old, and uh, it was a it was our first meetup from the virtual web on Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it was through Twitter that kind of expanded my interest about how social media was being used, um, sometimes appropriated for, for other things than you'd expect, you know, the, well, just the, the social side of things. I was actually being used um, by educators um, for personal development in the classroom, all these different things. Um, and it was through through following a few few people um, that I came across um, Ray, Ed, and um, Jeff, and thought these would be good people to to meet up with. And I'd actually got some funding to come across, and I had this idea that I was going to do like a little mini study tour. Um, and then we looked at the American map. <laughs> there was one in Boston, one in Pennsylvania, I think, at the time. Um, and one, one in Texas, and then realized that two were going to be in Texas. Um, so that's kind of what brought it together. So I used part of the money to um, attend the conference and meet up with these individuals. And at the time, my sister was actually living in San Antonio. So I went back after the conference to stay, stay with her, went across to um, where Jeff was at the time, 
had a tour around his college um, you know, and, and talked about what they were doing there in, in detail, which was a fabulous experience. That's great. And it's interesting to think back, like almost, so a decade ago, I too was doing the same thing. We're studying similar concepts of how are people using social web, social media, like Twitter as, um, as a way to communicate, share, aggregate, get ideas, um, and for professional use. So more than just a, like, so we saw people using it to kind of market, advertise, have quick chats, but like really how to engage with their peers. And I think that's why uh, we had stayed in touch because we saw value in these kind of alternative spaces that were being co-opted and repurposed. And I um, I think this was, it's funny to think back a decade ago was when I first started studying in my PhD and I was like, yeah, this was a topic that was very interesting to me and uh, a long time ago and how it's changed 10 years later. Um, and I know that you've been thinking about that lately too. So I couldn't even imagine what the now now is like really at that, at that time, you know, it was just exploration to, to start with. Um, but, you know, the fact that we've been able to build these, these networks internationally um, and then other things have sparked off from it. You know, I, I was thinking the, um, the V connecting that Mahabali created, um, you know. Oh, yeah, the virtual an, connecting. Yeah, yeah. Another fa fantastic example where, you know, I could go in and talk to some of the people that were actually presenting present at international conferences that you know I would never be able to get to because of cost to get there um, and all, all of those things and time away from work because obviously sometimes that was a, a restriction as much as the, the money um, but you, you you know there's an opportunity to have an insight and have conversations with people that you would never have had the opportunity to to meet um, yeah, and I'll, I'll just let our listeners know that Virtual Connecting, we'll put a link, but essentially they have almost kind of a mini chat behind the conference. So it's kind of like having a talk in the hallway, but it's online virtual so people can join in um, a back conversation. It was on Google Hangouts, but now on, I think it's on Zoom now. And so they, yeah, so they will have invites, um, speakers that might be at the conference and attendees that just have a quick chat about the issues ideas, concepts, um, and they're recorded and archived on a YouTube channel and within their website. Um, so they try to open it up to those who can't travel and that and those that are traveling kind of facilitate uh, the conversation or join in as well. So you must have encountered them at the, I think, the Alt-C conference last year in 2019. I did, yes. I was um, I was involved in one of one of the chats, um, but in previous alt conferences, I've been an on-site buddy. So there's oh, cool. been you know keynote speakers there, and I've introduced them to um, whoever's virtually hosting it because it's a bit uh, a rotor of, of a growing team that keeps this going because of the number of different conferences. You know, it's not just uh, the original team. Um, yeah, and it, and it's fascinating having those those conversations. You know, as as a participant, as you know, as well as um, you know, being a buddy and listening to what other people are saying. Hey, I've always gotten the best conversations from sneaking into chats like that and as I say sneaking and joining and those kind of virtual chats and I, I've always found values to those kind of um, peripheral learning networks um, because they only offer more ideas introduce you to new 
people, thoughts, challenge you, your own thinking and question the way that you're working um, and how you're working beyond being a support network. And you have one of those as well, I believe, that you started or initiated with uh, a few other colleagues in the UK. So this was more on Twitter and involved a hashtag? We did. So Christina Rancy and I um, looked at having a, a little pilot from, I think it was started in September up to Christmas, where we would take on the tweet chat um, concept, which was still fairly new in the UK. I'd been involved in them for some years through, you know, marketing interests and, and other things. So we came up with the idea that we'd um, have a little go, so see how it went for, you know, 10, 10 or 11 weeks. Um, and that is still running to this day. So the models kind of evolved because originally we, we did absolutely everything. So, um, you know, identifying a guest and getting the blog post information to promote the actual chat, forthcoming chat. Um, posting the questions on, on the night or scheduling them and then capturing that in what was a story fire which then morphed into we we joined uh, Wakelet who were absolutely brilliant in moving all the resources at the, that point we got about 100 um, chats and they, they helped move them over to, to the new new place um, so essentially the, the, the chat is the same time um, every Wednesday evening at eight o'clock, um, and the guest chooses their topic. Um, normally, something that they're either an expert in, they might have written about it, or they're just very passionate about it. And they come up with six questions, and those six questions are posted approximately every time, 10 minutes, spaced out. Sometimes we can adapt it if you know conversation's still going or the conversation's dried dried up. Um, People have to search for the hashtag LTHE chat um, and that's put in the questions and put in the answers um, so it keeps everything together uh, and people answer those questions or come back with a question to the question. Sometimes the conversation goes a little off-piste and in di different directions but absolutely fascinating and you know it, it's a very busy hour um yeah, phd on on speed sometimes people call it speedy <laughs> cpd <laughs> it's, uh, no it's, it's fascinating and, and you know people might not always be interested in every single topic so it's the kind of thing you can dip in out of you know if you um come in late you know people will filter through the the questions from the because uh, we post those from the at LTHE chat Twitter account um, and keep that free of anything else so that it's absolutely clear what the, the questions are for, for that night. And people come in and answer them one after another and then they'll sort of look at what the conversation was and might chip that in. So that sparks it off again, you know, because people might might reply. Um, and for me, it's a really valuable part of my own CPD because I can guarantee that I'll come away learning something new, something really useful something interesting something i want to read up more about um you know it and and it, and it seems to to work um you know there's been a lot of questions around the timing of it you know this is out of work time it's in the evenings but for in the main it works for the majority of people um in fact i had um 
responded to a post that Laurie Phipps wrote last year. And he did a little bit of um, a very short survey out to the JISC um, list for um, Alt and Cedar, and also through through Twitter um, to get an idea of what people got from tweet chats. Um, and LTHE chat came came up, um, and there were a number of others. PhD chat, um, what's the other one? Coaching chat. I think that's oh, yeah. really quite quite popular. Um, you know, most of the, one of the questions he asked was, you know, do people try and claim that time back? You know, because it's out of hours work. And <laughs> from my perspective, you know, if if I'm doing professional development that work asks me to do, and there's various different things, whether it's going on to sure. management courses or health and safety or whatever it is, um, unconscious bias, you know, there's all these different variety of different things, then yes, you'd expect to do that in work time. Um, or if you had to go and do it to the weekends or, or evenings, you know, you'd bring that back. But I choose the CPD that I want to engage in. You know, I think that's that's the difference. And yes, it has made um, a significant positive effect on, on my um, learning, but nobody's asking me to do that. You know, and I can choose whether to do that, not do that, engage in whichever parts, parts of that, um, that I want to. So, you know, I wouldn't like to be in a situation where I was told exactly what I got to do for that, that development. You know, that autonomy to me is really empowering. Absolutely. Um, continuous professional development or CPD, as you said, I like that speed CPD is I think critical for what we do in most of our roles and the work, work that we do today. And um, I'll highlight that I am uh, biased towards Twitter chats myself because I, I too have joined many, started some, uh, participated in that, but they're really good ways to pop in. And you, we have failed to say what the name of your Twitter chat is. I know the hashtag is LTHE chat, but Learning and teaching in higher education. There we go. <laughs> like acronyms. <laughs> we do. And I will say um, if you are learning and teaching higher ed or just in general, it's actually a, quite a fruitful chat for um, thinking about pedagogy and uh, thinking about how we understand um, learning, education, in different contexts. So I know that people that maybe different listening, roles as well. Yeah, it's important to get across. So so it's not just just teachers. It's, no, it's educators. It's librarians. It's learning technologists. Absolutely, learning developers. You know anybody actually that takes an interest in, um, you know the different approaches to to learning and teaching, and students as well. In fact, we've had um, over the time at least two on the organizing committee, which is probably something I ought to say because I started saying that um, we'd started the chats um, as, a, as a small group. Um, and then Chrissy came up with this idea of having an organizing committee of volunteers. So that's an opportunity to mentor new people to show them the ropes, introduce them to what it looks like at the back end of a WordPress site, because not sure. everybody's used um, a, a blog, um, introduce them to how you can curate the tweets through um, the Wakelet tool, those, those sorts of things. So we kind of split the year into three 
um, parts. So up to Christmas, up to Easter, and then Easter to, to summer, and then we take a break over the summer. Um, and we're we're there really just to mentor. We have a Skype with the the new team, which is between two and two and three volunteers. Explain what it is that we need to do. We've got um, a shared Google Drive of multiple folders with all the information, um, as you might imagine. So it's fairly explanatory once you get into there and sort of learn, learn the ropes. Um, and, and they sail. You know, it always amazes me every time. You know, I, I say we're taking turns that, you know, you're, you're the, the mentor sort of the guide on the side and, yeah, they, they just do it. And, you know, very often bring in a new slant to, to it, you know, new ideas, which I think having a fresh pair of eyes is, is really helpful to any kind of thing that you're doing for professional development. I think that's brilliant. And what you said to sustain it and keep the moderation and kind of momentum of the Twitter track going is needed. You need a team. It can't just be one or two um, because uh, moderating these kind of chats is, is a labor of love. Uh, it's no one gets paid to do it. And whether it's paid to do the professional development or uh, support it, but they want to do it. So I think having more people around with more ideas and also being able to pass that torch along is ways that you can keep this community afloat and what have you learned like this has been a few years the LTHE chat's been going on on Twitter what have you learned from um, kind of your moderation curation teaming of this project Um, besides the beyond the weekly topics what have you learned as the person helps to kind of guide on the side and facilitate it gosh um just how giving people are you know and and interested to um to learn and, and share their experiences, uh, I guess, is, is, is one of the things. And this evolving community that, that's come out of it, which, um, you know, we couldn't really have anticipated. So a number of the educators you'll at some point meet, um, if you're lucky, on the circuit of conferences. And, and it's like a little mini reunion. It's like, oh, I finally got to meet you, you know, and it's like hugs and, you know, it's great to see you. And, oh, remember when we were chatting about this? So, so we all, many of us, many of the people that talk talk about imposter syndrome, you know, and right. it's just nice to know that, you know, um, we're not not all experts and, you know, we're, we're learning as, as we go along and we can share share those stories. What a, way, what a neat way to mentor colleagues. Um, and I know that in your full-time role, you also mentor students. That's kind of a the thing that you do uh, when you're teaching in academia and you're working with your learners, but you're also mentoring now this new kind of other set of professionals. And Because I know that you have a great group of graduate students these days and they're doing, I'm going to put a pun in there, a smashing job. And my pun is because they're called smash. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your learners have come up with? A group had this idea after attending our first, because we held an inaugural social media for learning conference at Sheffield Hallam University. And as part of that, we put out a call for um, students to apply for free places. Mm-hmm. So they did that independently. Um, as it turned out, four of my students attended the um, conference and and afterwards, I said, you know, would you like to continue the conversations? Did you enjoy that? And that they had, shall we set up this special interest group? Um, 
And they said, yes, that'd be good. Um, but then came back after we met and said, you know, well, we don't like that name. We want to rename it. So they came up with the acronym SMASH, which is Social Media for Academic Studies at Hallam. So Hallam's a shortened version of Sheffield Hallam, which is where, where I work. Um, and in that group, there was one final year student and three second year students. So in that six months, the remaining part of that academic year, we started to develop what we called a, a mini framework of how social media is used. So we came up with the three pillars. And that's looking at social media in and out of the classroom, social media to organize your learning, and social media to showcase learning. Okay, cool. So that, that was the, the first, first part of it. Um, and then they worked on how they were going to get more students to join the group the following year. So out of that four, one graduated, one went out on, two went out on placement, and one continued. Um, so in the second year, we recruited more students in. So we got some more final year students and we got a further second year student. And the work continued and it's now into its fourth year where the students, some have left, some have gone out on placement, but they've actually kept in touch and um, still contributed because they created this virtual community of practice. And of course, they can organize things online. They can contribute to the resources that we've built. Cool. Um, synchronously, asynchronously, they can be miles apart or in, in the same same room. Um, and some of the resources that they've um, created are around, um, we've got two, two sets of cards. The first one is, is loosely based on the, the Educause seven things you can do. Yeah. So we started off with um, looking at what are seven things you can use for Twitter or YouTube or whatever the tool tool was um, and use those when we had some workshops with staff and students to start the conversation around using not just social media but other um, technology that you could use with your, your mobile phone to enhance learning and teaching really. Uh, they've written some guest posts for me so I've got a blog called Social Media for Learning. Um, so there was a really bad um, period of snow east from the east a couple of years ago. So they wrote a really lovely post about what tools could staff and students use to keep in touch, you know. Yeah. Um, and for people that are using these tools all the time, it's like, well, surely people all know about these tools, but they don't. They you don't. Know, so they don't. So that's great. I think that's a Yeah, it's really important to sort of share, share those, those out. Um, and then they had the opportunity to present at subsequent social media for learning conferences. How neat is that? That's a fun way to build um, capacity, community, and like their own learning beyond coursework that they may not get within any sort of class that you're in. Even though you are in computers, uh, that you're working on different types of computing and not, not necessarily the social. Yeah. Yes, it's been really, really enjoyable. And I'm taking two down to London um, in a couple of weeks to um, talk about the project as well at the BEC conference. The, it's the British Education Technology? No. Something like that. I've never, right. I've never got the two 
Well, be sure to put a link to the Bet Show and just because you said a number of great resources that are across the pond that some people might not know and want to be in touch with to learn a little bit more. Thank Fantastic you. resources on, on the GIST website in relation to um, digital literacies, the digital capability framework, um, which Helen Beetham contributed massively to a um, fantastic piece of work mm -hmm. that's evolved over you know the last, last few years but really very useful to um have as a, a as a as a model framework that you can talk about these things with not just staff um colleagues as our own development but with students as well interesting i'll put a link to those as well and, and it's open which is you know something else that i like because you know, mm -hmm. quite, quite often you know things are gated and um, it's really nice to see and that, that's something that I've always advocated with my blog, with my work, things that I share through things like SlideShare uh, and certainly the work that I'm doing with the students where we're giving everything a Creative Commons license so you know people can use it, adapt it and um, yeah so it kind of, kind of evolve really. So the Bet Show is massive and there's going to be so many attendees from over 146 countries. That is amazing. That what a great experience for your grad students, though, to yeah, be exposed to it. And um, what are some things you're doing to kind of prepare them for this massive endeavor and going to going to this conference? Well, they're pretty seasoned because they've done done a few few things um, now. But um, we've been working on the presentation using Google Slides, so working autonomously, um, contributing to to um, bringing that that together. Um, so we'll we'll have a practice run, you know, all the usual. Who's going to speak to this slide? And who's going <laughs> yeah. to speak to that one? <laughs> because we've only got half an hour. Well, less than half an hour, because obviously you want to have some time for, for questions. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that that'll be the um, preparation. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll take it in their stride. I know that you're always thinking about your curriculum and changing and making it purposeful for your learners. So is there anything on the horizon for you? Um, the next year as teaching, because I know that you're in a, a unique area of computer science and you've been working on a few things. Is there anything that's percolating for you, new projects or ideas? So this year I've um, written a new module um, which is called Employability and Work-Based Learning. So what's we need to intend, uh, to get out of this um, particular module is taken by by two courses um, business and digital technologies and IT with business studies students first year students and it's it's the responsibility of this this module or myself as a module leader to, to bring in academic skills employability skills and make that that interesting so this year um, I've decided to take the approach of um, getting the students to think about what it means to be a digital citizen and starting to plan workshops for a group of um, people from the community to teach them digital skills. So the students in semester one have um, come up with a hypothetical um, workshop plan in preparation for next year actually working or this year as it is now with real groups of, of people um, so they've looked at various different frameworks um, around what it means to be a digital citizen 
um, what did digital citizenship means, digital skills. We've used a lot of the resources um, that JISC um, provide. And the idea is that they um, can build up their confidence and knowledge around various different forms of um, digital literacy, not, not, not everything, but for, focus on a particular area, working with these people. And then towards the end of semester, we're going to have an open digital skills clinic, which will then promote and people, public staff, students can come along um, and, and they can help answer some of their, their questions. So, so what's an example of like a digital skill that you're thinking of? So this is kind of, I, I don't want, I, I think sometimes we just skip over this, but I always think it's good to like say like, well, what's an actual skill? Is this something like around a soft skill or them applying something with the digital or what's something that an example that you might um, see in this area? So one thing that um, people seem to be worried about and, and when we've, um, looked at organising meeting and um, arranging meeting these community groups um, we've got a little inkling of the kinds of things that they're interested in and one, one of the big things that's coming out is digital safety okay um, what does it look like to be safe online you know how do you get safe passwords what are the things that you should be looking out for you know what what does phishing mean uh, with a p not with an f <laughs> yeah the p the ph one not the f one yeah um, and you know what what information should they share should they not share and you know it, it seems to be getting more and more complex online instead of easier in some some ways um so it, how can we tease out some of those things provide some resources some help guides you know how can the students then share that with with those those people or or it could be that actually yeah i've got a smartphone now or I've got an iPad now how do I actually send a photograph to my family you know which you know once you know how to do it, it you know it's fairly straightforward but it's not um, quite the same as an email you know and you know even some people might not be familiar with email so you know for, for example one of the community groups might be a, a group of elderly um, citizens um, so you know, we'd need to know what kinds of things that they they, they would find find useful, really, uh, and understanding you know what the social tools are. are. Are they helpful? Are their family, you know, involved in in using um, whether it's Instagram or WhatsApp? You know, mm -hmm. that's a nice way to um, share messages, photographs, or, or or chat to each other mm -hmm. if you've got Wi-Fi, because. Um, Certainly, my mum. She's she's got um, an iPod, but she's not got a smartphone. Um, but you know, she she really enjoys being able to talk, have these live conversations, and be, you know, she can show us around the garden and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's kind of open, really. You know, I mean, it, it could go down another um, pathway about um, digital well-being. You know, how do we manage our, our time online? Because, right. you know, it can be a bit of a, um, how can I describe it? You know, you, you can lose lose time because you're watching, reading something which leads on to something else, something else. Sure. Um, and there are various um, gadgets that you can use or, or, or settings on your devices to, you know, manage that time or at least alert you to 
count on your spending online. Um, so, in all honesty, it's um, an adventure. Yeah, I know. It sounds like it. Because <laughs> you were talking we about everything from know privacy, security, yeah. to wellness. And like, and I'm thinking of other things like teaming and uh, working together, solving problems online. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's, so there's all, all, all of those and it will depend on the particular group. So, um, I think for how it will pan out for the, the first part of it, They'll, they'll meet with a community group, they'll have a chat around the things that they're interested in. The students then come away. Mm -hmm. They've got a couple of weeks to put something together. They will then go back to that group and deliver an hour workshop-ish around whatever it is that they want to focus on. So they're not going to tick off all of these different things because it's yeah. too, too much. So yeah. what is it that those people most want to focus on that term in that particular time? It gives them the autonomy and empowers them to do like what they're interested in and then yeah, be uh, like absolutely. a leader in that area. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, it's definitely an invention and experiment, but <laughs> I, I just wanted to find some way where they could actually apply what they were learning as they went along. And then we're using um, Pebble Pad as a e-portfolio okay. to reflect on all of these things that they're, they're doing as they go along. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And I think we don't, uh, I think we might do it because we blog, but we don't talk and pause on like, well, what does this mean to what I've been learning along the way? And um, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've really got them into that reflection right from the start. So they have to, um, in semester one, they've had to reflect on um, five skills that they've developed or felt that they needed to develop mm -hmm. uh, and those skills could either be involved with their learning or they could be extracurricular activities um, you know and if they feel that there's further development what are the actions they're going to take to be able to develop that skill further um, so they've got five more to do this this semester and then it, all of these things pull into um, a reflective report so they'll reflect on how the sessions have gone working with the community. Gotcha. Their own digital skills. They'll do a SWOT analysis of their skills across the, the piece. That feeds things. Another thing that I didn't mention is that they've got to um, develop a CV. So they started off with a CV, brought in a CV from college school. And then they had to adapt that for an assessment just before Christmas. And then they'll get feedback on that. They'll adapt it again, take it to the employability advisor, get some more feedback on it. Um, so they've got something by the summer that when they return next next year, which is the point where they're going to start applying for placement jobs, they've got themselves a, a fairly decent CV that they can start adapting to the roles. And they also have some recognition of the skills they've developed and yes. enhanced. And I think that's really important. So um, especially I too, in my past life, have taught business and information science students, and they don't always articulate that well enough. So I'm glad you're doing the work. Yeah, it's so, so true. It's like, you know, you have to kind of prize it out of them. Um, it's like, well, you're doing amazing things. You know, you just need to be able to write that. You know? <laughs> right. I write it succinctly and I'm not... Um, 
half a page instead of two sentences and, and things. So it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's all incremental steps really to help them develop confidence in this, this area. And all of this information they keep in their pebble plant pebble pad um, portfolio um, so they can see that progress because I think that's quite a confidence boost absolutely and right right at the beginning they had to um, which they, they, none of them liked doing but they had to do an about me video to camera to talk about the skills that they thought they wanted to develop as they come into university and what their aspirations were at university sure. um, and I think when they get to the end of the year and revisit that as part of their reflective piece, you'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, I've learned so much, you know, in, in terms, not not just of um, subject matter, which is obviously very, very important, but for their own um, personal development of their confidence and communication skills, because um, that's the one thing that they say at the beginning, you know, that's what they worry about most. You know, they know yeah. they're going to have to do presentations. That, that, that's quite intimidating, that thought. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, with experience, the only way you can overcome that is practice, practice, practice. It's a bit like riding a bike. Yeah, and you're injecting a lot of social and interactive and a lot of things that they may not get in a typical computer science or business program that I've seen. Um, so I think that's really good because they'll have to do that in, in the field and in, in the industries that they go into regardless. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So interesting times. We'll see. It is. <laughs> see how it goes. Cause it's a, it's a new new venture. Well, good luck. I, I hope to hear back and please feel free to come back and let us know how things are going. Um, now, that being said, you are in a division or department similar to um, myself and other colleagues that is mainly uh, dominated by males and you're one of the few females in your division. Um, how does that come into play in terms of your, your work, um, whether it's teaching, learning, research? Um, how, how has that influenced kind of how you work these days, or has it? Um, it, it, it is different, uh, you know, because there aren't many, many females working there in terms of, you know, that socialization and things. And, you know, even though where we are now in the 21st century, you know, you know very well that the guys are saying, oh, do you want to come to the pub afterwards? You know, but they, they wouldn't ask a female. And it's quite a diverse um department as well so culturally it's not the thing that you would do so um there's that that side of it um i think as far as research is concerned there's very few that have taken an interest in the pedagogic side of um research they're, they're very much into their whatever their discipline is within computing, whether that's networking or programming, software engineering, computer science, um, et cetera. So, you know, they're, they're, they're fixed in, in that. So my area is, you know, I don't have anybody within the department necessarily to share that, that with, but that's not to say that people in computing don't do it. They do. Um, in fact, there's a, a great colleague, Scott Turner, who um, has been involved in LTHE chat and various other things, <laughs> um, social media for learning conferences. Um, so one of the nice things, I think, 
of today because of the technology is that you know you can build networks with other like-minded people but they're not necessarily in your your own department or or indeed institution um but yeah some, sometimes it can feel feel a bit lonely but um to be honest you don't have that much time to, to be worrying about it because you're so so busy because if you're not doing your own teaching your um your marking teaching or your moderating teaching or you um, doing your own research, etc., etc. So you know, it's it's not, it's not um, such such a big deal, really. Yeah, and, and the networks have opened up the, for others who want to talk about the scholarship of teaching and learning, yes. uh, which is its own field and area yeah. and domain. Um, it, it, it that crosses disciplines that you have a wealth of individuals that want to be focused on that. Um, it's interesting that you're one of the few, and I don't know if that's. Um, that's gendered or not, but you just have an interest in uh, moving where our students are going. And I think that's great that they're, they're, they're so lucky to have um, a, a, f a faculty member that wants to, and cares that what they do, not only in course, but beyond like really does matter because those are some of the skills you're bringing to them. So I mm -hmm. think that's great. And they are fortunate to have you there. So. I think I've had a passion for, um, communication myself and media for, for a long time the first master's degree was in communication and media and um, you know I, I got really interested in how um, people did that effectively and, and and the barriers that you know you could see people were facing and obviously working with um, again predominantly male students um, you know how could I help them become more confident um, because there was a lot of research um, evolving nationally that was uh, identifying that across the the UK and it might might be the same in other countries that um, graduates from computing courses um, were finding it really difficult to get the jobs um, because of you know they've got to get over the boundary of being interviewed and, and mm -hmm. you know writing CVs and a couple of letters and all of these different things um, and you know employers were saying well you know we can take in the business school type of, of students you know they're really super confident and we can teach them if they've got the aptitude to learn we can teach them those those extra things um, so you know that kind of really piqued my interest in looking at different ways that could get them to use different tools that would help to engage that communication um, but also the reflection and developing that confidence to talk about it and develop the language to talk about the skills that they genuinely have you know you, you'll have a private conversation with a student about some something which then led on to oh and i've built this whole network or you know built a website or done this or done that you know i've done this voluntary work and it's not in the cv you know yeah i didn't think that kind of thing mattered you know it's um so it's it, it's helping them see that and you know that sometimes needs to be one-to-one -one. i think that's really critical is like you, you almost draw out or have them talk out well that's something you could highlight and people aren't as um braggy or boastful they're like oh i didn't think it was a big deal or now before we we wrap up i always ask us i guess a few questions and one of them is um what is a go-to wine or beverage of choice when you get to take a break, not work, uh, whether you're gathering with friends, family, or, or colleagues? Um, is there anything in particular that's your go-to? I think one of my um, favorite wines is, um, it's not very expensive, it's um, Yellowtail. Oh, yes. So I always, I always enjoy that. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I think gin, gin is it's, it's nice, certainly on a on a thirsty day. <laughs> Absolutely, no tonic um, can help to um, chill chill you out. But um, I have to say, also, I am half Scottish and do like um, a little bit of whiskey as well. Well, there you go. I am a gin fan, um, and the gin explosion. I will thank. There's been a few. Uh, the botanists and others over in the UK had a gin vent calendar that I. Mm-hmm. I found a couple of years ago, and uh, I will say there is a wealth of gin because it's um, quicker to make uh, than whiskey, sadly, but uh, vodkas, gins are quicker. Um, and then I've, another part of our, our podcast talks about stories, and I didn't know if there's any sort of story, whether it's a book, an article, a film, TV show that's kind of resonating with you lately that you just care to share with our listeners that they should go check out. I have so so many books. I've got a stack of books. I'll tell, tell you one that I have got that, that I will show you, and I can tell you what the name of it okay. is. Um, it's Permanent Record by okay. Edward Snowden. Oh, um, tell me more. Yeah, I have yet to read this. It's still here, um, but of course, he's. Is that his bio? Like a memoir? This bio, yes, it just came came out. Um, let's just check the date, whether it was 2019. Yeah, it came out. But he, for, well, divulged some years ago. I can't remember whether the exact that year of, you know, the things that were, were happening and information that was trying to be gathered. And, you know, the very fact that the devices that we carry around, irrespective of whether we have them on and off, on or off um, can still capture information um, and I think you know the the advent of all these helpful um, devices that we're buying in our, our house you know that talk to each other the, um, there's still a lot to understand about where that information is being captured and who has access to that that information um, and I've still got um, my little book from Amazon that um, Alexa, as it's actually called. I've still got it in the box. It kind of, I kind of want to use it, and my, my sister's had it for for years, you know. And, and my daughters have got got one to you know play me this, you know, music music wise. And it's just something that niggling. I'm I'm not entirely confident what um, whether or not we're ready to be, be using these because of the safety aspects. I'm with you on that one, Sue. It's it's interesting. So this it seems like it was somewhat long ago, but uh, 2013 is when he kind of unpacked the way that people surveil and watch. And we have he disclosed um, obviously that. Uh, from his work as a contractor in the CIA in the US, he disclosed um, essentially how people were watching, surveilling, and capturing. Um, and a lot of people don't remember this or forget about it. And I think there'd been, there was a good interview with um, John Oliver on last week tonight. He'd gone over to Moscow because that's where he lives, is still in Russia. Um, he's had moved on in his life and he has. He's been married. Um, he still lives over there, but he's not a spy for the Russians. He is there because um, if he came back to the U.S., um, he still would be, be charged for relaying these secrets and these government um, 
this claim to be a traitor on one side and also um, the whistleblower who also let people know what's going on. So I think that sounds like an interesting book, The Permanent Records. That just came out. So interesting. I'd be interested to read that. So I'll put that on my list for reading as well. I too, like you, don't have things I call on my personal assistants, uh, whether it's Siri, Alexa, or other. Um, so I have a healthy distrust like you um, on, on some things. So very good. There's a lot of things, isn't there, that we um, have yet to, to um, untease and until then need to, to worry about. I was listening to um, a webinar with Catherine Cronin mm-hmm. um, um, and she she was talking about um, surveillance capitalism, you know, and this is where you know the very tools that we think we're enjoying the social networks, you know, um, they're monetizing our our, our data, um, and and our information, like what we're saying. I, I would say you're right. Um, have you read or heard of the the book, The Surveillance Capitalist, Ca- Surveillance Capitalism? No. Um, Shoshana, I'll tell you what that is. I'll put it in the notes. It's a big, thick book, so I took it out from the library twice. <laughs> um, but it was a really good book by Shoshana Zuboff. Um, so she she was writing this since um, 2019. Uh, <laughs> I've just actually gone to her website what it, about what is surveillance capitalism, and I'll put a link into the show notes. Um, but she talks a bit about this in the Data and Society Digital Lab, so if you want to get a quick overview of the book. Um, but she does talk about how we've contributed to it in different ways, whether it's using Google uh, that's free. Is it free? And what have they done to take data from that to, yeah, you're right, the social media networks that we use um, and things that we didn't think would turn into... We've kind of been uh, seduced into using these, you know, to be able yeah. to collaborate, communicate with people, you know, but at, at the end of the day, yes, they are, they are free. And as we know, there's uh, no such thing as a, as a free lunch and, you know, what... What is it that they're doing with 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 the data is is concerning, and um, you know the pop ups you visit a, a, a website, and some some of them now I just close close it down and mm-hmm. just don't bother looking at it. But um, you know people don't always look at the information that they're almost willingly giving away through the cookies because they don't click on the extra things. So obviously there's there's the cookies that can make work websites work properly and all those kind of functions right um but the the, the worrying one is is the tick checkbox if you don't uncheck it where the information is going to other third parties right you know because it's them that um potentially um might not be trustworthy you know it's not to say that they they are or they're not and um, we don't know right but certainly evidence that you know information's been sold um, not everyone's a bad actor, but what can you trust? And uh, if you can prevent that from changing your browser to I use DuckDuckGo to search and maybe my search results results aren't all encompassing, but at least I'm not tracked on Google or um, my browser on Firefox instead of a, instead of a Chrome because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just have the ways to block some things. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's It's being aware of some of those things that, 
and changing it's habits. It's useful Chrome extensions, isn't it? And then you look at the, the, the and, and they can then change your data. They can do this and it explicitly tells you, isn't, you know, there's, there's no hiding of what they could potentially do, you know, if they've got the time. Um, and it's like, do I really want that? You know, and, and yet, because over time so many people have started to use them, it was like the um, um, this, then that app. Uh, and that, that has access to so much stuff. And I'm thinking, I, I just don't want to use that. It just doesn't seem safe to me. Look at you reading the terms of service on these apps that most people don't. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, well, let's leave this podcast on a positive note. So before we wrap up, let's talk about something that's bringing you joy right now. Is there anything that's making you smile, laugh, enjoy life these days? Um, the thing that brings me most, most joy, apart from my husband, obviously, I have to say, say he does, um, <laughs> is my two dogs. I've got two German shepherds, and they make me smile every single day. That that friendly face in the morning is always oh, time to go for a walk, Mum. Which at the moment it's pitch black when we go out at <laughs> six o'clock for our morning walk. So, yeah, Suki has to have a light up collar and <laughs> a safety coat. Um, although she's easier seen because she's pure white. Charlie's black pure black um but yeah they're, they're they're great company and you know you can have a a trying day at work and then come home and they're at the door and yeah smiling faces because dogs do smile <laughs> they do and i think they do help lower our blood pressure and yeah. stress and levels for walks you know and it doesn't matter what the weather is you know it's, it's all about having the right clothes on you know if you dress dress for it and it it really is good for you to to get out, get that fresh air, see some other scenery, uh, and we're really lucky because we live on the edge of the Peak District, so you know we're two minutes away from countryside. So there's some really smashing walks to um, to enjoy. So yeah, they're 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 my ones that uh, keep me happy. Yeah, that's really good. Real little ones have all left home. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the fur <laughs> children still, but the other yeah. children are gone. I have grand pups. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you have a puppy party I've seen sometime on Instagram, so I like that. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. There was um, five dogs. Was it six dogs at one point at Christmas? <laughs> yeah, which was slightly chaotic, but good fun. That's yeah. good. They have mad half hours that all collapse and fall asleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Sue, I wish you all the best this year um, in the new year, as well as the new term coming up for Thank what you. you're expor experimenting and doing with your students and how you care about their what you're teaching and learning that goes beyond their coursework in classrooms. So good luck. I can't wait to hear more about Thank this. You. I've really enjoyed chatting to you again. It's been good to uh, to catch up. Absolutely. Get together to see each other in real life one of these days. I know, and we will. And I will put in all these good things we've talked about for our listeners because you've shared a wealth of resources. So thank you so much for um, contributing. And I know our InvinoFab folks will reach out to you and follow along with what you're talking about and doing these days for work. Um, so I'm happy to share that as well. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, 
private message or email at invinofabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.